want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. And if you have one of those, um, um, or sure, which one of my children call it that, one of those ribbon thingies, you can just put it in there, okay? And um, the last several Sundays, we have been dealing with... Uh, the great paradox or, or mystery, uh, conflict, if you would like to call it. Of course, we understand there are no conflicts in Scripture uh, of the words that Jesus said. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. Yet then, in uh, the book of Luke especially, he said, if you're going to be, Matthew 16, if you're going to be my disciple... You've got to take up your cross. He told the rich man, the rich young ruler, as we call him in Mark chapter 10, uh, that you need to give everything that you have away, just sell it, uh, get cash, give it all away, and follow me. And, of course, I mean, if you um, turn on what is called uh, Christian radio and Christian broadcasting and all of that, uh, you're going to run into the crowd that talk about that abundant life and that if you're right with God, you'll never be sick and you'll have all kinds of money in the bank and rich beyond your compare. And, and uh, then you go to the other extreme and you'll find these guys trying to live like monks in a, uh, uh, a cave somewhere. And oh, somebody uh, wrote a little house uh, song. It said, uh, this old house has fallen apart, but Jesus come back, so I don't need to fix it up. And uh, uh, the simple truth is, as with most things, they're both just as wrong. I remember uh, I had one uh, an excellent teacher in civics, that's government, they really don't teach that anymore. Uh, and uh, he said, they try to tell you that democracy is on one end of the government... And tyranny is on the other. And somewhere between tyranny and democracy is good government. Wrong. Uh, one end is passive. The other end is tyranny. And good government is in the middle where people have freedom. And the simple truth is there is no conflict like we have with men. When Jesus said, you've got to give it all, you've got to hate your mother and your brother and your sister, and it has nothing to do with Sigmund Freud, honest. Um, and then he said, I'm going to give you life more abundant. He was saying the same thing. And it is hard for us today in, in this day in which we live. I mean, we, we think... Enduring hardness as a good soldier of Christ is going to Starbucks and the half and half thing is empty. Uh, I mean, we really believe that having to get up for a 1030 service is difficult. And, and that's not true. That, that is so ridiculous. And when it really comes to enduring hardness and having to go through some of those things that Christ puts in our way... You know what? A lot of people just drop out. I've often said, true Christianity is not the absence of trouble. 
It's not the absence of problems. It's God's grace to triumph over them. Amen? That is what the Bible is about. And so, the last several weeks we've been dealing with this from different aspects. Last week we looked at the life of the Apostle Paul and how he illustrated this theme that we call the death of self. That's what Jesus is talking about. The the giving up of what I am and what I hope. And by the way, if you have family problems... Stop expecting things. Stop trying to manipulate other people to do what you want. And guess what? A lot of those family problems will just disappear. That's what Jesus meant when he said, hate your father and mother. He wasn't talking about despising them. He was talking about stop trying to get them to match up with your idea of what they ought to be. You know, expectation will destroy a marriage. Expectations will take the greatest promises that are in this book and make them worthless. Because we expect God to do this and He chooses to do something else. You know, every once in a while my son and I will be working on something. He'll say, isn't that good enough? And I said, no. He said, but it looks good enough to me. I said, wait a minute. I have the right of definition, not you. And you know, Lord gives us children so that we can understand a little bit about Him. How many times have you asked God to be pleased with what you did? You see, He has the right of definition. It belongs to Him. If you disagree with something that God calls sin, I've got just one word for you. Tough. Because the dictionary belongs to Him, not to you. Amen? He is the one that can determine the difference. And this whole theme of the death of ourself, and I want us to get to Philippians chapter 2, but it's going to take a while this morning, all right? Uh, be patient. We, we need a, a long introduction here because this morning, we call this Palm Sunday. This is the commemoration of when Jesus rode the little donkey and, and the donkey's foal through the eastern gate in the city of Jerusalem. And the best way to illustrate that was he would have sat sideways on the mother donkey and put his feet on the foal. And it would have been like a moving throne down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. You know, even the Turks understood about that prophecy of Jesus going through the eastern gate. And so they sealed it up and put a cemetery outside the eastern gate. If you were to go there today, it is completely sealed and and there's this huge Huge cemetery there. And they say, when, when the Messiah really comes, he'll have to change the entire geography. How many of you have read the book of Zechariah? <laughs> uh, God is in the geography changing business. Amen. The only problem was they were several centuries late. Jesus had already been through the gate. Amen. And we celebrate that today. Now, we're not going to pass out palms for you to wave because here's what happens when we pass out palms. The kids take them. 
and they come up behind the adults and they tickle you in the ear or on the back of the neck, and that's just really not good. And so we don't want you to think that Palm Sunday is a day for the children to annoy all the adults, and don't tell me that the adults don't do it too. So we want you to think about the reality of the day. Amen. And I want you, you're going to have to listen real close or you're going to miss the whole sermon of this morning. You see, there is no greater example in all the Bible of this theme, the death of self to find life in Christ, than the life of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a moment and think of what Jesus had to give up to be planted in the womb of the Virgin Mary and be born a member of the human race. You know, men's minds have grappled with this ever Since Mary uttered the words, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And God's answer through the angel is still the best. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. He says, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 100% man, 100% God. How can that be? Oh, I'm just glad God's bigger than I am. Amen? If you could figure that out, you'd be as smart as God is. And I hate to pop your bubble. You're not. And you can't be honest in church. Where will you be honest? Listen. What did Jesus have to endure? You read the book of Revelation. Where does the lamb that had been slain appear? In the midst of the throne. You see, Jesus is the very God of gods. And we are created in His image. The first thing we notice about ourselves and others is our bodies. Uh, Jesus had a body. Amen? But anyone who is honest knows there is more to the human being than that which we can see and feel. There is a living soul inside that human being. That is your emotions. That is your thought processes. That, that is what really makes you You, God the Father. But then there's a third part, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, that part died the moment Eve partook of the fruit. We are marred and have destroyed the image of God. That's why when a person gets born again, it says that God gives us His Spirit to live inside of us. Why? So we can have contact with Him. 
You know, one thing that makes a Baptist church different from just about every other type of religion that calls itself Christian or whatever is the fact that we believe the believer has direct contact with God. We call it the priesthood of the believer. Uh, My job as a pastor is to preach and give you God's Word. But every individual in here has a personal responsibility directly between their soul and God's for what they do with God's Word. That's why there's no such thing as a Baptist Pope. That's why we gladly say we have no priest in the Baptist Church. By that, what we mean is there is no person that stands between you and God. We believe every believer in Christ is a priest. That you have direct access to God. That's what the term means. We do not believe in the first among equals. By the way, there is no such thing. You can't have a first among equals. Because if you have a first, then you have to have a second, and the second and the first don't work out unless you believe the new math. And uh, don't use it on your tax return. There are prison sentences attached to that, all right? Uh, Fines and things. Uh, One and two are different numbers. Uh, you, You cannot have two things that are different that are the same. And every man stands on level ground at the foot of the cross. By the way, every woman stands on level ground. At the foot of the cross. That's a Bible truth. You know, people think that the framers of the Constitution invented that idea. Uh, No. No, John Locke didn't invent that idea. Anyone who's come up with the equality of human beings has gotten it from this book right here called the Bible. Because Jesus taught it to us. What he had to give up Come down here on earth. But when he was 12 years old, he went to the temple and Mary and Joseph went on home. How many of you read Luke chapter 2? When he got back to Nazareth, what does it say happened there? He, Jesus, was subject unto his parents. That means Jesus got disciplined. Now, who was right? Uh, Jesus was. If they were trying to correct him, then who was wrong? Uh, Mary and Joseph were. And what did Jesus do? He accepted it. He did not talk back to it. He, as the God of heaven endured correction that was wrongly implied, applied. Does that sound like the death of self? It sure does to me. Jesus didn't assert himself. Jesus didn't say, now just a minute, you have to understand, I was perfectly right in what I was doing. He was. But he was subject unto them. Why? 
Uh, well, there's a verse in the Bible, uh, in one of the commandments, it says, honor thy father and thy mother. Uh, that includes a lot more than just obeying, but it certainly, certainly deals with obedience to your parents. Well, what if my parents are wrong? Uh, you're not going to straighten them out. God hasn't called you to correct your parents. I don't care what they do on the television shows and the cartoons. I mean, that is a theme that has run in our media since there was a media for it to run in. That somehow children know more than their parents. You must be some parent. Oh, yeah. I exercise my authority as a father. And that puts me in a very small group of people. But it didn't used to be that way. Jesus was subject to his parents, even though he was right and they were wrong. You know what? We could preach the whole sermon about that and try to apply it to our lives and how many issues in your life would it straighten out? How about this one? What did Jesus do from the time he was 12 years old till he was about 30 years old? 18 years of time as he uh, developed from that little boy into a man. You know, history, true history, is absolutely silent. Now, you can get the Gospel of Thomas. It's just full of all kinds of blasphemous stories. And uh, these writings, if, if you like historical terms, are classified as the pseudepigrapha. That is false writings. And yet, people go to the false writings and try to proclaim truth about Jesus. And uh, how many of you remember that, uh, 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 how shall we... Uh, uh, enlightened mind from Yale University presenting fraudulent papyrus. Uh, they've gone back and revisited. It's now original. Jesus had a wife. You know what? People will lie about anything that casts dispersion upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, for all of that time, what was Jesus? He was silent. You know what? How hard is it to be quiet? Uh, how difficult is it not to say something at times? I mean, how, how, much of, how much of our lives are, is built on frustration because we really would like to say something about this, but we know we better not. I mean, how many of you have ever done? I want you to think about what Jesus had to be quiet about for those 18 years. Uh, that is a total surrender of self. I'll tell you, no one can do it as well as Jesus did. But that's the theme of the Scriptures, is the death of self 
the non-assertion of self, the, the getting rid of my ideas and my hopes and my wishes and my dreams, and yet Jesus had a complete plan that was laid out in Scripture in which He fulfilled every jot and every tittle of every prophecy, over 600 of them, in His first coming to earth as Jesus Christ. Read the Bible. He dealt with hunger. He dealt with thirst. This is the eternal God. Having to be... Having to endure the shortcomings of a physical body. But that was not the greatest thing that Jesus had to put up with. The greatest thing that Jesus had to endure was other people who refused to believe that He was who He is. How many times did He say to the disciples and chide them for their unbelief and their faithlessness? And, and even after His crucifixion and resurrection, as He was walking on the road to Emmaus with two of them, He says, How in the world did you miss this? And it said he opened their eyes, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. How many of you have ever had to teach somebody something you do exceptionally well? How many of you have ever tried that? I will tell you that is a test of patience. Is it not? I mean, if you do something exceptionally well, now, in our day and time, very few people do anything exceptionally well, but if you do something exceptionally well and you try to teach someone, uh, my favorite illustration is when my wife and I were first married, I taught elementary music at Cleveland Baptist, at the Heritage Christian School. Cleveland Baptist Church, and, and uh, I had my beginning clarinet players, fourth graders, and uh, I always called it, now I don't hate cats, but it just sounded like those kids were strangling cats. I squawk, squeak, I mean the noises they could get out of that clarinet. I had no idea where they came from and how they happened that way. Uh, I, I am a saxophone player. I can uh, play, and I will tell you, I, I wanted earplugs. Uh, sometimes I wanted to strangle the clarinetist. Uh, oh, it was, it was just, uh, it was almost more than I could endure. But I knew I wouldn't be there very long. We were headed somewhere else, and so I put up with, and I, I affectionately called it our cat strangling session. Uh, some of those students are now grown up and play exceptionally well. Praise the Lord. But Jesus, um, how well did he understand the Bible? It's, it's his book. He wrote it. And he spent that three and a half years with those clods called disciples, apostles, trying to teach them how to understand the book he wrote. 
And you know what? The night he was betrayed, he said, Guys, you don't got it. But I'm going to leave somebody with you, the Holy Spirit, who's going to help you. The patience of Christ. The surrender of Himself so that He could put up with us. But uh, I want us to take this step further. You know, Jesus had to surrender Himself to accept praise and worship from man as well. Because there was very little of that that was done right. Uh, Brother Franz started our Sunday school time with this this morning. That was one of the few acts of praise and worship in all the Bible where Mary anointed Jesus that Saturday night before, after Sabbath was over, before he rode the uh, donkey into Jerusalem. That was one of the greatest acts of worship and praise all in all the Scriptures. And Jesus said, wherever this, the word about me is taught, they're going to tell Mary's story. Because she got it right. But when Jesus fed the 5,000, John chapter 6, here's what it says. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now I'll tell you what, there are very few human beings that ever resisted the ability to be made king. Can I give you a little history real quick? This was after the revolution. And our ambassador in England was there. And relations had been restored between us and the British Empire. And the king said, what is George Washington going to do now that, he's, that the war is over? This was before the Constitution and all that. He said, well, I suppose he'll go back to farming. And here's what King George said. If he does that, he is one of the greatest men that has ever lived. And that is true. We need to remember that. We need to think about that. But he was a man who refused kingship. One of the few. But... When Jesus was talking with Pilate, what did he, Pilate's question was, hey, wait a minute, they said you're a king. Uh, tell me about this thing, you know, I, I, I have to check this out because, you know, we do have a, a, a little fella in Rome, his name is Caesar, uh, he is in charge, and if you're against Caesar, then we got problems. And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world, and Pilate went, oh, just another crazy man. Jesus was born to be the king. And when he perceived that they would come by force and do it, why did he refuse it? Because it was false worship. They didn't want a king that was actually going to rule over them. They wanted a king that was going to do what they wanted to do. Jesus saw right through their foolishness. And yet, when he rode the donkey and the foal through the gate of eastern gate of Jerusalem and up to the temple steps, as the Pharisees said, 
Don't you hear what they're saying, Jesus? They're attributing deity to you. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Did Jesus know that some of these same people were going to cry just a few days later, crucify him? Oh, yeah. But he still accepted their praise. You know why? Because God deserves praise. There's not a one of us that can offer sinless, perfect praise to God. He accepts what we give Him because He is so good. Amen? You see, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. But I want us to go a step further. You see, Jesus was selfless in His coming to earth and taking upon Him human flesh, enduring even punishment at the hand of His parents for doing right. By the way, what an example that is. I've got to keep moving. His first 30 years of life, he spent in silence. And yet he knew all of the answers to all mankind. He dealt with hunger. He dealt with thirst. He dealt with pain. He dealt with temptation. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. But he had to put up with human beings. Our faithlessness, our unbelief, Even in our best that we offer Him, there's problems with it, but He still accepted it. Amen? How many of you have ever read the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, I've heard some really strange things about that. And we don't have time to to deal with strange things. Let's just deal with the truth this morning. You see, Jesus was trying to help you and I understand that this thing called the death of self, total surrender to the will of God, is not an easily accomplished task. It's not something that's done in a moment. I'm glad salvation is an event, not a process, aren't you? Could you say amen to that? I'm glad when any sinner comes to Christ and says... Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He'll save you. When you believe that He is the Son of God, that He died and rose again to pay the price for your sins, He'll save you for all eternity. But living for Him is a process, not an event. This death of self is a process, not an event. And Jesus, who never wasted a moment in time, took three hours in the garden before he was crucified to pray a two-sentence prayer. If there's any way that this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
The Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The anguish of the human soul that would produce the actual bursting of the capillaries in the face that would cause that to happen is something that has happened very few times in human recorded history. But it has. They tell the story in World War I of men in the trenches, which is one of the closest stories to what uh, of, of man's total depravity and destruction of himself. The men would be given the order to go over the top and they would climb up that ladder and start over the no man's land and fall back in the trench just covered with blood. They hadn't been shot. But the anxiety and the human anguish of knowing that they were facing instantaneous death just literally burst those little blood vessels under the skin and covered them with their own blood. Jesus did that in the garden to demonstrate you and I how difficult the depth of struggle that it takes to get past me. And yet, even in His exaltation, when Jesus does sit upon the throne, Jesus is coming again. But what did He say? Of that day, an hour knoweth no man, No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Now, I don't know how that works. But I'm going to trust Jesus that he knew what he was talking about. Amen? He was showing us his surrender to the will of the Father includes when he's coming back. He says, I don't need to know when it's going to happen. I'll just trust God. Now, how many of you, that that little thought right there would just change your life dramatically? I don't need to know what the future holds. I can trust God. Jesus illustrated that in his life. But even when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, I got a little ahead of myself. I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. You see, Jesus illustrated completely in his life and in his coming kingdom his selflessness, his surrender to the Father. Now I want you to open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. And I, I promise you, we won't be as long in the sermon as we were in the introduction. I want to start reading in verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. I want to stop right there. We're going to pick up reading in just a moment, but 
How many of you read Philippians chapter 2? How many of you have actually thought on that? Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Let me make sure I got that right. Yes. Let this mind be in you. I was reminded of something the other day. I, uh, someone bought me a mug several years ago, and it uh, has WWJHD. What would Jesus have me do? Because they came up with this cute little phrase, what would Jesus do? Well, let me tell you something. You can't do what Jesus did. He opened the eyes of the blind. He never succumbed to temptation. But the question is, what would Jesus have me do? Well, Paul says here, he wants this mind that was in Jesus to be in us. Now, what was the mind of Jesus? Could I tell you that Jesus illustrated so perfectly, not thinking about himself, but thinking about God first. You know, if you were half afraid of God as you were of your boss, would life be different? If you were just as afraid of God as you were, as you're driving down the highway, enjoying all the beautiful scenery, and then you see this one little dot on the scenery. It's got lights on top. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter whether you're doing the speed limit or not. Slam on the brakes. I don't want to get a ticket. We're, we're afraid of those things. And we shouldn't be. And we're not afraid of God. And we ought to be. Let this mind be in you. You know, we think far too much about ourselves. We, we think far too much about how we feel about things. We understand far too much about our perception of things and far too little on how God thinks about that, on what His perception is of these things. You see, He's got His perceptions written down in this book called the Bible. He tells us exactly what he thinks and what he wants us to do. You know, it's hard to be quiet when we see bad things happening. It's really hard to be quiet when someone is punishing you for something that you did right. Hey, I'm an American, I have rights. No. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I am dead. You know what? The only reason lawyers show up at the funeral home is to fight over the will. We, we got to stop trying to figure out how God's going to do everything. You know what? 
No dead person has ever answered someone else's problems. You know what? You don't go to the cemetery to get counsel. But you know what? We're supposed to be dead in Christ. And yet we got all these ideas how we're going to help everybody else. Hello? Why is it so quiet in here? You know why? Because we're dealing with human nature. We're dealing with the things that we struggle with. Why do you think Jesus said it's, you know, you're trying to cast the moat out of your brother's eye while you got the beam in your own? You know, if we had the mind of Christ, we're not thinking about us, we're thinking about Christ. We're thinking about the Father. He spent three hours in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. And even when Jesus comes into His authority and into His kingdom and rules and reigns with a rod of iron, let me tell you something, there will be no corruption in Jesus' kingdom. There's not going to be... Any any cheating on your taxes or any of that stuff when Jesus rules. Because He knows what's in the heart of man before it happens. It's going to be perfect justice. And yet, what does it say? When every enemy has been conquered, then the Son is going to bow down before the Father that God may be all in all. Now, I can't explain how that works because Jesus is God. But He is painting word pictures. He is painting things that will actually happen, giving us prophecies of things that will happen so that in our little human minds we can begin to grasp this thing. i got to get rid of me. That's the mind of Christ. Amen? Jesus gave up everything. Now, I want want us to start in verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, every person that's alive is seeking some type of notoriety, some type of thank you from another human being. I mean, that's human nature, is it not? Uh, we want to be recognized for our good deeds, don't you? Hello? I mean, that is who we are. Jesus was exalted by the Father after He gave everything up. He refused 
the adulations of men that he could embrace the praise of God the Father. Now, this is the key to what eternity is going to be about, my friend. Because in eternity, God is going to take each one of our lives and put it on display. So he can get the glory of the good things that were done in our lives. You know what? The Bible says there's going to be some there hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It says, okay, we're going to do so and so. Next. I thought we were going to do the life of so and so. Well, it's over. That's all there was. There's nothing there. So now we're going to go to the next one. talks about having crowns to cast at his feet. I'll tell you what. We ought to be terrified at the thought of standing there with empty hands on that day. But let me tell you something, Christian. It doesn't happen. You're not going to have anything given, put in your hands till you get rid of you. How did Jesus deny himself? I mean, he became obedient to the death of the cross. He suffered. He left heaven's glory. He put up with the apostles. I couldn't imagine putting up with the apostles. But you know something? Jesus did. I couldn't imagine putting up with me. But Jesus does. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. He got rid of himself that God could be glorified. Then God was glorified. And then there's the last part here, and we'll be done. Wherefore, verse 12, My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Now, this is one of those verses, if you don't know your Bible very well, you're going to have problems with. If you don't study the Bible, it almost sounds like, boy, you've got to make a deal with God in order to get saved. No, that's not what it's saying. Hey, they already obeyed. How do you get saved? You obey the Word of God, call upon the name of the Lord, trust Him as your Savior, and that's how you get saved. Amen? He said, you already obeyed. He said, now I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to take that salvation which God has given you and let it work out of your life so that other people can see, just like we can see in the life of Jesus Christ. His surrender to the will of the Father. He wants the world to see in you your surrender to the will of the Father. You know what? If you had an issue with another Christian, and this happens, and you just don't see eye to eye on things, you know what? If Christian A will surrender to the will of the Father. 
and Christian B would be surrendered to the will of the Father, can they be at odds with each other if they're both surrendered to the will of the Father? No. Well, what if B here isn't a Christian and they're never going to surrender to the will of the Father? Well, I'll still surrender to the will of the Father because that's what Jesus did and that's where the answers are in dealing with the world's offenses toward me. Amen? See, Jesus accepted praise. And we're here to worship Him this morning. But here's how we worship Him. In a few moments, we're going to have an altar call if you're saved. If you've gotten into the place where you think that God is really using you to help other people, there's an altar here to get that right. Because it's not you. If anything good is happening, it is not you. And let's stop playing games. It is not me. It's His Word. It's His work. we got to get rid of self. Uh, if you're struggling with sin today as a Christian, guess what the problem is? You're listening to self instead of listening to the Savior. Well, let's get rid of self. There's a place to do that. That's what the altar is about. I can pray and I can give myself away to the Lord. By the way, He'll do a whole lot better job with it than you ever could. Amen? You see, the mind that was in Christ Jesus was to surrender everything to the will of the Father and become obedient even to death, the death of the cross. The life of the Christian. Same thing. We love ourselves far too much. We pamper ourselves far too much. We think about ourselves far too much. If somehow we could get the mind of Christ, we'd be so consumed with the image of God all the rest of this stuff just wouldn't matter. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We just ask that your word would work in hearts and lives. Lord, that each one of us in here would stop looking to ourselves and look to the Savior. That we would stop being offended when we're injured. That we would look to the Savior. That when we struggle with our flesh and the temptations of this life, that we would stop fighting and look to the Savior. Lord, that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I, I pray that this sermon this morning would help us get just a little better understanding of that verse and that challenge and that command to let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, come.